When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all of the things that you are interested in talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me is the man who knows more about transfers in the Bank of England, uh, Duncan Castles. Uh, as usual, packed podcast today, uh, the window being open, in fact, halfway through, actually. Uh, so lots to talk about, and we're going to start with, of course, what most people are describing as the richest club in the world, Newcastle United, um, and their increasing uh problems and desperation with mending what is a perilous situation for them uh, regarding a possible relegation uh, given uh, where they are in the league and their attempts to buy players. Uh, Duncan, um, you've reported extensively um, on the disparate uh, decision-making at at St James's Park, but they do seem to be now willing and certainly trying hard to recruit players who will give them a better chance of surviving in the top flight. Yeah, I I think they they have finally realised that they have to do what they went into the window saying they weren't going to do, which was overpay for players, um, and are throwing money around the European transfer scene in order to rapidly secure in four positions, um, at least four positions, a couple of which they prioritised before the window, as quickly as possible. Um, The game at the weekend against Watford came as as a huge disappointment and shock to them that they dropped more points from a winning position against a a, a direct relegation rival. can talk about it in very way, in several different ways, but what it comes down to is they've played over half a season of football. They uh, will play the minimum possible number of fixtures a Premier League club can play in a season because they managed to get themselves knocked out of the League Cup and the FA Cup at the first hurdle. And so far, they've won one game all season, and that victory is 1 0 over the club that's currently bottom of the league, but likely to be above them once they've played their, their games in hand. And that, that's adding to Newcastle's problems is that they've played more games than most of their direct rivals for um, those three relegation slots. Um, they've been making bids in several positions. We talked on the previous podcast about what they were trying to do at centre-back and um, we also talked in detail about the the hurried purchase of Chris Wood, uh, the way in which they used 
a release clause to get a player from another Premier League club. And I can tell you there's a, a an open discussion amongst the Newcastle recruitment team that it is going to be next to impossible to take any players from other Premier League clubs apart from Manchester City in this window because they feel that there is a pact um, against them, a silent pact against Newcastle United where the, the clubs have agreed not to allow their players to move to Newcastle while they're fighting relegation. Um, and therefore, the only way they can do it is with a, a release clause mechanism, as they used with Chris Wood. And interestingly, I was talking to a, a recruitment specialist who, who uses analytics as uh, as part of his recruitment process as kind of a first um, cast through the market for potential players and asked them where Chris Wood ranked on his analyt analytics scheme um, compared to other Premier League centre forwards. And he told me that Chris Woods came back as being 26th in the ranking of Premier League centre forwards on his on his uh, very successful analytical tool. Um, that probably explains why Newcastle are trying to get another striker um, alongside priority centre-back. They want another striker in. They've been making offers on players. Um, I did a piece for the Daily Record this week um, revealing that they'd made an offer of over 30 million euros for the Atalanta forward Duvan Zapeta. Um, that's been rejected by the Italian club, but the Italian club are open to selling. They would want another 50% on top uh, for the transfer fee for a player who's out of contract in 2023, 30 years old. Um, Colombia international, uh, a regular scorer throughout his career at Atalanta. He's 65 goals in 118 Serie A games and also um, a regular scorer in the Champions League. Uh, and I, I think for the type of player, you can see he would make a marked difference to Newcastle. It's the kind of upgrade they need. Someone who can go straight into the team who should have the physicality and pace to deal with the Premier League and will markedly improve their attack. I'm told the player is open to moving. Um, so the Newcastle are advancing in the sense that they're getting players on board before making offers, something that they hadn't necessarily been doing with all of the, the players have been trying to sign. They got themselves into trouble with on the Diego Carlos deal by putting an offer into Sevilla of 25 million euros before having the player on board and more of that later. Um, Zapeta, I'm told, is asking for 5 million euros net, which is more than his double his current wage. Uh, at Atalanta, he's the highest paid player at the club. Um, but uh, my information is that he's ready to move as is his teammate, uh, Robin Gosens, as Germany left wing back. Uh, again, Atalanta's price for the player is over 40 million euros, um, a transfer fee. The player would come and is interested in going to Newcastle. It's not a position that's absolutely top of their list, but it's always been on their list for this window. Um, and Atlanta are waiting to see uh, if they get acceptable offers for those two from Newcastle to sell. One of the interesting things about Zapeta and the offer they made for him is he's not Newcastle's first choice for the position. So they've actually they're now got to a stage where they're making substantial cash offers for players who aren't their first choices because they realize that they have to get someone in quickly and they need to work on multiple transfers simultaneously. I'm told the first choice is Darwin Nunez at Benfica. 
Um, again, Benfica would be open to selling. Uh, Benfica have substantial financial difficulties. Their um, director of football, Rui Costa, is, has been charged with reducing their wage bill by 10 million euros this summer, which is well over 10% of their, of their total uh, current wage bill. Um, Nunez, they bought from Almeria just over a year ago for 24 million, but it, it was a more expensive deal than that. I'm told agents' fees took the total cost to close to 30 million. They gave Almeria a 20% capital gain clause. So if they sell for a profit, 20% of it goes to the Spanish club. And the players' representatives, I'm told, are guaranteed a seven figure bonus when Benfica sell them at a profit. So a sale of, for example, 50 million euros would only net Benfica around 10 million and they want more for the balance book. Um, Newcastle's interest in Nunez is, is longstanding. I can tell you that Steve Nixon, the head of recruitment, attended the Benfica-Bayern game on October 20th in the Champions League, spoke directly to Rui Costa, asked what the player's price was. Costa told them at that point he was not for sale and I'm told Nixon said, would 50 million euros do it? Um, and was again rebuffed by Rui Costa. But again, this is a deal that if Newcastle go high enough on the transfer fee, the expectation is they'll get the player in. So I think they will have a, a, a high-level striker to add to their attack before the end of the window, given the moves they're making at the moment and given that they're open to, to spending substantial sums on both transfer fees and salary. Now, the, another indication of this is the centre-back position. Told you some time ago in this podcast that Sven Botman was their first choice at Leo. Leo don't want to sell at this given moment unless it's for a big fee because they're still in the Champions League. Botman thinks he can get a better club. Uh, they moved on to different targets. As I said, they made a 25 million offer to Diego Carlos at Sevilla, um, Brazil defender. Before getting the player on board, that was rejected by Sevilla, who um, were basically rubbing their hands in glee, thinking that they have Newcastle on the hook for uh, one of one of a, a player who will be out of contract in a year and a half's time and is is uh, reaching the wrong age, close to um, turning thirty. They've subsequently gone to Diego Carlos, I'm told, and and made a salary offer of almost three times his current salary. I'm told he is happy with that and he's basically saying it's a, it's an offer he cannot refuse. It's life-changing money. Um, so he will now uh, try and get that move. And it then comes down to club-to-club negotiation over the transfer fee. Again, Newcastle are looking at multiple targets for this position and working on multiple deals simultaneously. As I said, they don't think they can get players from elsewhere in the Premier League. One option would have been Eric Bailly at Manchester United, but as he doesn't have a release clause, they think that would be difficult. Um, so they've been looking at European clubs and, and players who do have release clauses amongst the other targets they're looking at, I'm told, are Monaco's Benoit Badiashili and Leon's uh, Jason Denier, but there, there are several players on their list. Um, there's been a radical change in the way they're acting. They've realised they've got themselves into big trouble with the recruitment team they've been using, with Amanda Stavely as the, the lead negotiator, Steve Nixon retained as head of recruitment, despite never having worked at this end of the market before, mm -hmm. and Nicky Hammond doing a short-term consultancy from 
after being dismissed and leaving Celtic. Um, they're now in the position which we've seen this level of takeover, the nation state takeover, um, big, uh, big money takeovers with, with, with owners who have massive cash reserves that are at that stage where it's okay, we've got the money. We're just going to have to throw money at this and, and pay well over market value to get players in. Otherwise we are in real danger of being relegated to the championship. And in the last 24 hours, Duncan, they've also um, been in touch with Manchester United and offered uh, £10 million, which with Lingard, uh, the player uh, who they are trying to recruit, being out of contract uh, this summer, um, seems relatively realistic. Uh, But the most interesting thing is, He've offered to double his salary, his current salary. Uh, and for a player his age, this could be uh, the contract, as it were, um, which uh, sets him up for the rest of his life. As um, However, uh, it's my information that Lingard is reluctant to move to the northeast and to a club who could be relegated as well and who believes that he could uh, do better than Newcastle United um, in terms of where he goes next. And, of course, he does have the option of simply running his contract down and um, moving in the summer uh, and and being able to choose a club uh, who will sign him and pay him similar money um, because there's not going to be a transfer fee involved. Uh, so obviously, as you say, they are looking in several positions and it is interesting um, because uh, the uh, Saudi Public Investment Fund were adamant that they weren't going to go into the market in January and uh, start chucking money around but they've obviously realised that uh, if they don't, then there is a real possibility and danger of them going into the championship, um, which, of course... As we've learned from other um, uh, ownership of nation-state clubs, Duncan, uh, failure... Uh, is looked upon as something very embarrassing uh, and therefore being relegated to the championship would be something that uh, the owners of Newcastle United would be very uh, uh, embarrassed and also uh, would want to avoid at all costs. Um, Hence, I think, why we're seeing this sudden change in policy uh, to recruit and pay uh, over the odds for players, both in salaries and in transfer fees. Um, And hence, uh, these bids that they are making uh, for different players on the basis that uh, if they can possibly rescue this dire situation they find themselves in, um, then that would be seen as 
a minor success and one which they can build upon in the summer. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund. It's pro Newcastle United, although they paid over £300 million for the, um, the club's share capital and 80% of that came from PIF, is one of the smallest investments that PIF have made. It's it's very marginal for them from a terms of in terms of financial commitment at present. Obviously, there's a lot more money to go in there, but ironically, it's more prominent than anything else they've done. Um, I think that's the that's the flip side of of the the sports washing type deal um, that Saudi Arabia have have got involved in here. The football clubs are prominent, and and their management is put under the microscope in the, in the kind of way we've, we've done on this podcast. Therefore, they are under pressure to get this right and they don't like to be seen to be failing and they don't like to be seen to be ineffective and irrational in their decision-making process. And that, remember, you have a, an ownership structure where 80% is owned by PIF, but the management of the club, the management contract for the club is with Amanda Stavely, PCP Partners. That management contract could be cancelled at any point. It is not um, a, an indefinite agreement in, in the sense that PIF are committed to using PCP for a set period of time. Um, therefore, Amanda Stavely is under pressure here and she has essentially taken it on herself to be de facto chief executive while they look for a new chief executive. And we said on, on a recent podcast that they hope to have that new chief executive in place before the end of February. And um, de facto head of recruitment in the sense that she is the chief negotiator on, the, on these projects. She's having to reference PIF, get approval to do deals, but she's doing a lot more of the work than was originally intended. There was supposed to be a sports director in um, full-time, uh, long-term for this window. Um, and a lot of what's happening, as we've said in the podcast, is a result of inexperience um, in, and, uh, and a, an inefficient um, organisational structure at the club at present. Um, and I think um, there's, there's, I'm hearing there's, there's, there could be an additional pressure on Amanda Stavely in terms of um, the previous owner, Mike Ashley, um, not being entirely happy uh, about how the club has been run since she took over that management contract. Speaking of Mike Ashley, who of course is uh, regarded as um, a legend and hero on Tyneside um, for his <laughs> stewardship of Newcastle United, uh, he has um, recently emerged as the only bidder uh, for the, uh, ownership of Derby County um, it's our information, Duncan, that uh, Ashley, who we know, um, given um, the way he uh, treated his squad to a very cheap Italian meal, <laughs> uh, where the average price of the pasta and pizza was seven quid, knows the value of a pound. Um, the administrators of Derby County have set a deadline of the end of January 
Um, they have so far been paying the wages of the players and the expenses of the club in terms of the employees as well um, as other expenses. Uh, they have made it clear that they will not be able to sustain that beyond the end of January. Uh, therefore, there is um, an urgency with uh, finding a buyer. Actually, so far, uh, while expressing a serious interest in purchasing uh, ownership of the club, uh, has, uh, I think, empl employed a brinkmanship type policy with regards to um, the debts that the club owe. Uh, there are two major um, factors in this. One is uh, the unpaid tax to HMRC, as well as the money which is owed to creditors, which can be reduced uh, from full value to percentage of uh, £1 per um, debt that is owed. And uh, I was told this morning that Ashley uh, is quite uh, happy to take it to the wire um, making uh, an offer uh, as long as uh, there is a reduction in the debt from the uh, tax uh, debt that's owed as well as from the administrators with regards to the creditors as well. Again, um, Ashley is a shrewd businessman, so it's hardly surprising that this is something uh uh, or certainly um, uh, a way of operating uh, in terms of getting more value for the money that he is willing to invest. It is still quite a um, dangerous strategy, um, more for Derby County than it is for Ashley, because, of course, uh, he probably can take it or leave it, although... Uh, it's clear that he likes the um, prestige and the profile of owning a football club, um, even if he doesn't like investing that much money in it. So uh, how do you see it going? Because uh, it, this is one of England's most historic and famous football clubs uh, with a manager in place who is... Um, England's record goal scorer as well, and who, to be fair to Wayne Rooney, um, has been uh, consistently committed to trying to help the club. They have achieved results which are way beyond uh, the resources that they have to work with, he and his assistant, Liam Rossignor. Um, uh, they've lost Phil Jagielka because their transfer embargo that has been reimposed um, means he can't re-sign. Um, there is a prospect of losing up to five more players before Saturday's game against Nottingham Forest. Um, in fact, I'm told that there was an under-23 academy game that was... Uh, being played uh, this week in which the, the club was forced 
to not field some of the players that they would normally do so just in case they needed them for Saturday. I mean, it's an absolute shambles. It is, and I and I think that is Mike Ashley's thinking here. Um, in, in some ways, it's bizarre that an individual who has been trying to dissolve himself of ownership of Newcastle United for so many years and uh, and took so much um, and, and I think merited flack um, for his running of that club and and would tell people privately that he wasn't interested in in running a football club is going back into the market for being a football club owner so quickly. But it is, I think, all about the deal. And he will use factors like the historic nature of the club. He will use factors like the liquidators the, or stroke administrators, administrators trying to avoid becoming liquidators, but saying that they cannot um, allow the process to drag on indefinitely and they want to to have it resolved by the end of January or they will, they will have to start um, running down the club. He will use that as a bargaining tool to try and get the best deal possible. Um, my information is also that he wants HMRC to reduce the tax debt. He wants um, a potential court case being taken by Middlesbrough against Derby County. Um, over compensation for what they feel was a, a what cost them a, a, a an attempt and to get into the Premier League when Derby County were breaking uh, financial fair, fair play rules for the division and subsequently found guilty of. He wants that resolved in his favour, um, and he wants the creditors to take uh, as big a haircut as possible. Um, it it allows him if everything goes right to get a storied football club with that managerial personnel. And I think you're right to mention the importance of Liam Rossini and, and what they've achieved um, with the two of them in charge uh, at a very cheap price. And, and the one thing I'm told about Mike Ashley is he is a deal maker. When he sees value in a, in a transaction, then he will chase that transaction. And this is just informed speculation, but I wonder, should he manage to secure um, Derby County as his next football club, whether Derby County would very quickly see Sports Direct signage and advertising and, and even naming rights going onto their stadium or training ground and, and returning to Ashley the kind of platform he had at Newcastle United of very cheap advertising um, for his central uh, business project. They have a very strong fan base who have been very loyal through this period of administration and uh, relative failure. Uh, and they also have um, a group of players who have performed and been so committed uh, to produce results which are in general, well, in relative terms, um, way beyond what could be expected, especially given um, the situation they're in and the morale uh, that uh, could have but hasn't yet um, been reduced, uh, hence why they uh, are where they are despite the 21 point, uh, points deduction as well. 
So it, for Ashley, it seems to be um, it's a business proposition. It's not uh, about uh, owning the club. It's about uh, taking the club at, at a cheap price and, as I said, playing brinkmanship with HMRC and the administrators uh, because if nothing's done before the end of the month, then Derby County could actually disappear uh, in liquidation, um, which, of course, uh, that brings all sorts of different uh, factors into play with regards to uh, what public opinion is, uh, politicians at the FA, PFA, uh, and the EFL as well. So uh, it's almost like um, deadline day in January when something new, when all the deals get done <laughs> and um, people panic. Uh, and decide that you know they have to make decisions quickly, and that seems to me what's going on here. Speaking of Derby County, Wayne Rooney has been linked heavily with his old club and the club of his childhood, who he supports, Everton, and the vacant managerial position there. Uh, after the sacking of Rafael Benitez, uh, Frank Lampard is also uh, another candidate who um, has been invited to uh, have a conversation with uh, representatives of Everton. Um, neither are first choice, uh, as we understand, Roberto Martinez, the Belgian manager, is. However, it is our information that both Lampard and Rooney are extremely sceptical about the way that Everton is currently being run. And there are three factors here at work which are the ones affecting uh, Lampard and Rooney's judgment on this. One, and probably most importantly, is the lack of delineation with regards to um, major decisions, because there are factors at work in uh, the club, with uh, the chief uh, chief executive, but probably more importantly, Bill Kenwright, the chairman, who obviously was the former owner, um, but who still, uh, to many people who know him, acts like he still owns the club and wants to make the important decisions. You've got Farad Moshiri, who is the titular owner, um, but of course Alisher Uzmanov, uh, the Russian oligarch, is the main investor. And then you have the agent Kia Jurabshian, who has a huge influence on football decisions taken uh, with regards to recruitment at the club. The dressing room itself, um, we're told, is fractured uh, between uh, foreign players and British players uh, who uh, do not believe that the club is going in the right direction. And that in itself is a huge problem, obviously, and one which accounts for their, the form 
of the last uh, six months or so when Benitez was in charge. I think, Duncan, that this is a job um, with Everton in the position they're in, um, only slightly above the relegation zone, that they're going to find difficult to fill, even though Everton is a, a huge club and they do have resources to invest. But it seems to me that anyone who's considering taking the head coach's job there uh, would have to accept that uh, things would need to change dramatically with the administration and decision-making processes at the club uh, and assert their own authority uh, with regards to how things move forward. Yeah, it's Everton have, have worked themselves into an increasingly um, difficult and, and misorganised position over the years. They've had um, huge resource to put into transfer market, um, the upgrade of training ground, the the new stadium that they are they're attempting to build, um, but they've actually built a squad which is dysfunctional, as you say, split between its parts. And then made, in my view, cardinal error of, of adding Rafa Benitez into the mix in, in the summer. Um, that always looked like a dubious appointment, um, given the type of football Benitez likes to play, safety first football, um, given that his star has, has certainly waned in, in European football. Um, over the last decade or more, um, and, and obviously given that he was a previous Liverpool manager, so he he was on difficult terrain from the very start with the Everton support um, until he had some health problems uh, towards the end of the period, which made it harder for him to work that, that have been kept quiet. Um, but the the absurdity of of where Everton have got themselves to is kind of summed up by. The decisions to get rid of director of football, Marcel Brands, which resulted in the head of recruitment, Greta Steinson, leaving. Um, the scouting manager, Dan Purdy, also leaving. Also, under because of Benitez's recommendation and request, they got rid of head of medical services, Danny Donaghy. Um, the, the latter, or the, the dismissal of Brands, was taken at a point where the Everton support had made it clear they didn't want Benitez to continue and where it seemed to be obvious that Benitez need to be changed. Instead, Everton spent more money on the transfer market supporting him and they sack him a few weeks later. So as they've done pretty much throughout this ownership period, they've intensified their own problems by making bad decisions. And, and I think you're right, anyone who is looking at that job um, and has ambitions for their own career uh, as a coach going forward needs to ask some very severe and careful questions of the people interviewing him at Everton before he decides to accept an offer. Everything is not rosy for Ralph Ranick at Manchester United. Um, having had a uh, quite rosy start um, with his tenure as uh, interim manager, 
uh, he's encountered some uh, rather rough times in the last two to three weeks, not just with results, but with uh, some dissent from certain players, uh, notably Anthony Martial. Um, and it appears that the uh, players, certainly from our um, sources, are not entirely happy with his tactics. They're not entirely happy with his attitude, despite being initially impressed uh, with the way that he handled himself. And he now is facing a lot of uh, interesting and difficult questions with regards to his style of management. Um, only this week, he had said that both he and Paul Pogba are in similar positions, i.e. they're both out of contract this summer, and it, that is natural that they would look at the future. Again, the transfer window understands that uh, Mino Raiola, Paul Pogba's agent, has um, still uh, refused to engage in talks with United in terms of extending Pogba's contract, which would represent a huge loss in terms of transfer fee and wages that he's been paid over the past four and a half years. Ranić himself is becoming uh, more and more fractious uh, with the way that he is behaving as well. Uh, we know, and we did report on the podcast, Duncan, that uh, Richard Arnold, the new chief executive at United, has initiated um, the uh, search for a new coach rather than uh, considering Ranić as the long-term solution to what's going on. Um, this seems to be a recurring theme now. Uh, yeah, it, it's like they make the same mistake over and over again. And um, while losing Pogba, and I spoke to one uh, very influential person at Manchester United in the last couple of days, who said to me, you tell me when Paul Pogba had a remarkable performance in which he won a game for United and uh, controlled a game for United and I said well I, I don't watch every single game but I don't remember one he said yeah neither does anyone else at the club so it looks like Pogba's on his way out Ranić's on his way out and this will be another era or certainly um, a chapter in United's history when they have to go through uh, a period where they take a gamble or certainly um, make decisions with regards to key parts of the team, uh, including the manager, uh, in a, to try and improve and put the club back into uh, the position that obviously this uh, Manchester United supporters expect. I think so. I think that the biggest worry for United at the moment um, is 
that they have to secure Champions League qualification. Um, Ranić was supposed to come in and turn things around and get them safely back into the into the top four and secure that money pot for next season. And then decision could be made as to whether they wanted to continue with him. He wanted to continue. He came in um, with the idea that this was his opportunity to manage a major European football club and he was going to be a success. Um, I think already, given what has happened, given the problems with training, um, given the problems with organisation, given the struggles they're having within the squad to get everyone on the same page, um, a conclusion is being reached that Anik is not going to be the answer. Um, therefore, you need to get the next coach in. Um, that The logical you know, follow-up from that is you need to get that new coach secured as quickly as possible to give him the opportunity um, to decide what he wants from the squad, um, whether he wants to mandate Pogba leaving, for example, um, or whether he, he would like them to make a, a, another attempt to retain the player and, and throw the money required at it to, to keep him within the squad, to look at other areas of the team um, and, and get working on that as quickly as possible. Because as it stands, they're going into a summer transfer market where they need some degree of work done um, and some important purchases made without knowing who the coach is going to be, without having the coach secured and without being able to go to players that they would like to hire and say, this is the project, this is who you're going to be working with, this is where the manager plans to use you. And, and I'm not saying you can't do deals in those circumstances, but it obviously makes it harder to do deals when you're competing with the top clubs in Europe for the top players in Europe. None of, none of this should surprise us. Um, Manchester United is a very badly run and organised football club, which refuses, um, it seems, to make the most of the resources it has available to it. It's one of the richest um, clubs in terms of revenue in world football, but they repeatedly handicap themselves, making bad decisions about the organisation of the club. Um, and key appointments, um, such as manager, um, such as director of football, um, they have frequently failed sometimes even to explore the best options on the market in, in those positions, uh, never mind have conversations and, and, and appoint those best options. Sometimes, Duncan, as we both know, in football clubs, um, people who are in power do not want to um, dilute their authority. And I think that is one of the major reasons why Manchester United are in the position they're in. Um, you know, we keep going back to it, but the reason we do that is because it's a truism, and that is it's Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, during his time controlled everything and was a football man who knew how to organise a football club and now they have um, a group of people who have no idea how to organise a football club and that's been clear from the lack of success and um, the way that the club has been run 
um, in the last seven to eight years. So uh, until they resolve that particular problem, then I doubt um, that United fans uh, will be anytime soon celebrating major trophies. Um, yeah, and okay. that- I, I talked about director of football and manager there. I missed the most obvious one out. Um, Manchester United have just chosen to replace a chief executive, okay, his title is executive vice chairman, who had no experience of being chief executive of a football club before. Um, he was hired by Manchester United with a chief executive whose background is in banking, who has never worked for any other club, who never worked as an executive in another football club before he was hired by Manchester United. They didn't even properly explore the marketplace for alternatives. They hired from within um, someone who has done a good job in certain areas of the club, but is he the best option to be chief executive of Manchester United Football Club? Clearly the Glazers think so. I don't think there are many other people in football at a high level who agree that Richard Arnold was the obvious and best choice to be the next Manchester United chief executive. Well, I would agree with that. Um, And in a way that links us perfectly to hero and villain. Um, I'm going to start talking because I've got a hero who, um, if anyone uh, who's not seen it, please get yourself onto YouTube or whatever uh, social media channel you use to watch your football videos and look at James Ward-Prowse's free kick against Wolves. Uh, 34 yards, he hits the ball into the perfect spot with the goalkeeper who should really from that distance, had an opportunity to make contact with the ball, but didn't. And um, Ward-Prowse is fast becoming um, one of the certainly uh, most technically excellent um, dead ball specialists in the league and is uh, creeping up on David Beckham's record of scoring uh, directly from free kicks uh, and that's quite a plaudit in itself so um, Ward Prowse for me is our hero of the week Duncan uh, villain uh, villains of the week Premier League officials um, why uh, because the CIS football observatory um, always a, an institution academic institution that's worth paying attention to um, produced a nice bit of research in their in their weekly post this week where they, they looked at penalties awarded to clubs across the um, the big five leagues, in fact, all the European leagues, but most interestingly, the big five leagues in European football. Since the beginning of the, the 2018-19 season, they found that Manchester United had received a penalty every 299 minutes they played, um, a higher rate than any other club in European football. Um, if you go to the and compare them to other Premier League clubs, it, it's even more remarkable to what extent they stand out. Um, the second uh, most frequent recipients of penalties were Chelsea, 419 minutes per penalty. 
And then you'll get the, you know, the counter argument, which used to come from Uli Gunnar Solskjaer was it's because Manchester United are such a, an attacking team and have such difficult forwards. We get fouled more in the box. We deserve to get that more many, that many more penalties than our opponents. Well, the Football Observatory have, have also analysed not just by penalties per minute, but penalties by big chance created in a game, um, which is the Opta stat, which is used for an, an opportunity that's been created, which you should score a goal from, you'd be expected to score a goal from, which of course every penalty is included in. Manchester United have a penalty for every 21 big chances they created over that period. The team in the Premier League who is closest to them in terms of um, infrequency of big chances for penalties is Crystal Palace, uh, Leicester City, both of which need 29 big chances for their penalties. You've got some clubs in the Premier League as high as 80. Um, teams like Wolverhampton and Tottenham, who um, would be known for their attacking football, even Leeds United, 52, 52, 54 chances um, requ required per penalty. It just shows how ridiculously out of line with um, reality the uh, the frequency of, of penalties awarded to Manchester United were during that period when mostly um, Uli Gunnar Solskjaer was in charge. Um, so, yeah, fascinating bit of, of uh, data, which is worth um, looking through if anyone is interested in this issue. I suspect United um, will soon be lobbying for um, games to be played over 300 minutes rather than 90 um, on the basis that they will more or less get a penalty during that time, um, given the stats that you've just recited. Uh, yeah. and, and of course, it should be added more penalties than any other team frequently penalties in any other team in the big five European leagues and during that period how many trophies have they won? Zero. Well as you as you've said, um it is a you know very, very interesting statistic. Um and one which I think a lot of football fans who are not um supporters of Manchester United will not be surprised by this has been the transfer window podcast which uh, where we have brought you the news before it becomes news as we always do we are on our social media channels at transfer podcasts on instagram twitter and facebook you can also find us on youtube at search at transfer window podcast and you'll find us very easily uh engage with us um through those channels you know that we love to get your views and discuss them on the pod as well uh, duncan is on at duncan castles on twitter i am on at garbo sj um stay safe be well and thanks for listening hey.